0: If you want to uh, look at your Bibles, turn to Matthew 15, verse 1. Uh, I I never was good at racquetball. <laughs> okay, but I watched this racquetball player really really good. Um, it was some kind of work function. And everybody went down and played racquetball, and I was just watching this guy. And he would, if you know anything about racquetball, you know you get low and you pop your wrist, and you try to get the ball fast and low and angled correctly. Well, every time this guy was off balance, he would hit the ball up, and he was playing with like five or six other people. Uh, these, he would hit the ball real high up, hit a weird corner, and he'd come down and throw everybody off balance. And so it was always his go-to shot when he, when he didn't have a good shot. That was his always go-to shot. And uh, our go-to shot here is when we finished a series, we go back to Matthew. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm aiming for the ceiling right now. No, I mean this is this is this is where we our foundation, and we come back to it, and we let the Spirit just lead us on to the next place. So where we ended, literally a couple of months ago, was in Matthew 14, and now we're starting in Matthew 15. And so uh, let me read it to you. And it's really going to be hard for me not to pause and say something. I'm just going to read it through, and then we'll come back and and see what what neat things we can extract from it. Matthew 15, 1, it says, Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. (laughs) I said no editorial comments. I'm going to keep reading. Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor Uh, your father and your mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and their mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you (laughs) say this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, not eating with unwashed hands. That does not defile them. So, let's look at this, and I'm not even going to... Sometimes it's kind of fun to just read the Bible verse by verse. You don't even have a theme. You don't have a direction. You're just, what is it saying? And extracting, although I'll say this, at the end of the sermon, this message, I'll give you what I think a good title is for this. But let's just read it verse by verse without any preconceived ideas or notions. In Matthew 15:1, it says, let's kind of start this over. It says, then Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked him a question. And these guys were, they were religious folks, religious folks. They had a lot of rules. They had a lot of special ways of doing things and a lot of things they didn't do as a result of their religious rules. And in verse 2, the question they asked him is, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. What on earth was the tradition of the elders? What was that? Well, the tradition of the elders were written Jewish traditions. You know what a tradition is? Tradition is at Christmas we give presents. That's a tradition. What would happen if we didn't give gifts at Christmas for some of us? We'd be horrified. What? You're breaking a tradition. What's going on here? We go to Sunday we go to church on Sunday mornings. <gasps> what if we changed it to Saturday nights? That would break a tradition, all right? We sing about six songs and then take the offering and then sing another song and then have church. <gasps> what if we did it different? That would be a breaking of tradition, all right? So that's the things. They're, they're un, some A lot of them, they're unwritten rules, but here these were actually written rules that had been kind of propagated over the course of hundreds of years, a long time, they were not part of the mosaic law they were just written traditions and one of them included washing their hands and i love how one book one theologian described this as dead the dead weight of orthodoxy <laughs> the dead weight of orthodoxy it just weighs you down religion Dead religion just weighs you down. It's a waste of time. It doesn't inspire you. It doesn't enthuse you. It doesn't get you motivated. It just drags you down. And this is what was happening here. You know, religion majors on the minors. (laughs) It majors on the minors. You're always looking for the little, tiny, little mess up of this thing or that thing instead of looking at the big elephant that's in, in the room, ignoring the elephant and looking at the little particles of dust on the floor. Religious traditions really can be incredibly harmful if we're not careful. It can be really, really harmful. I had a boss tell me he thought that religion generally was just good. Any religion, it was good to have religion because it made people be good people. That's a bunch of baloney. (laughs) Religion makes people be really bad people actually it really twists things and turns things and makes people do really terrible and harmful things if you look at any of the religions that are out there the end goal out there is is pretty ugly the results are pretty ugly and uh and so the here's the harmful thing about religion is it makes you think it confuses that if you do these things, you'll be a good person. It'll make you a good person. Doing good things will produce a good person. And their definition of good things could be anything. Here it was washing their hands. Or you know, religion is bad also because we get comfortable in the way we're doing things and anybody that bursts our bubble, we think they're bad. And they're not bad at all. They're just doing things a little bit differently than the way that we do things. And so as I've mentioned, the order of our service is a tradition here. And it'd be fun sometimes to, you know, just start preaching from the beginning and sing at the end, maybe. Just to shake things up a little bit, all right? Or maybe do the offering at the back and have everybody turn around while Jimmy is talking from behind you. That would shake things up a little bit, all right? It's good to just do things differently sometimes because it shakes us out of complacency. We kind of need that. I love it here. I don't think anybody has gotten upset when somebody walk in and somebody's sitting in their chair. That happens in church all the time. That's my chair. I, I sit there every Sunday and you're in my chair. All right? That would be horrible if we ever got to that place. And that's why it's good to maybe sit in different places and, and certainly not get upset if some visitor comes in and accidentally sits in your chair. We don't, we don't want that. And so the music style, all of that kind of stuff, is just—it just it just doesn't mean that much. It's just not that important. And so in James one twenty-seven, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts, the good kind of religion, is as pure and faultless as this, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world that's good religion. Everything else would be considered bad religion. And, uh, and as I'd mentioned, the dead weight of orthodoxy, <laughs> you know? So let's just read on though. So I had some thoughts that I got from those verses there in verse three, Jesus replied to these Pharisees, these religious leaders. He said, why do you, I like it. He was in their face. He was confrontational. He said, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? That's not God's tradition. That's your tradition. And why are you breaking God's law instead of doing the tradition? He goes on and gives an example. We really can't identify with this example too well, but I'll go ahead and read it. Because he he explains that He says, God said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father or their mother is to be put to death. But you say, here's your tradition that trumps that, Uh, That if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, so it's like a loophole. Have you ever heard of a tax loophole or a legal loophole? They created their own loophole to where if they had a little extra cash and they didn't want to give it to their needy parents, they could say, I am devoting this cash to God. Now, whether they used it for God or not was another question but he said then you uh, then you don't honor your father and your mother with it thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition you nullify the word of God when you reserve a seat in church and you can't let anybody sit there because it bothers you so much I'm trying to make you know some comparisons that that we can identify with so how does Our religion nullify the word of God? Listen to this. These are some pet peeves of mine. When someone comes up and says, say a prayer for me. Say a prayer for you? What what are you talking about? I pray to God. I don't say a prayer to God. I pray to God. I talk to God. He talks to me. I'm not going to say a prayer to God. That's dead religion to say a prayer. No, we talk to God and we listen to God. That would be nullifying God's word for the sake of my tradition. I'm not going to sit here and repeat the same words over to God a hundred times and think that's doing any good. God's ears shut down whenever you just repeat stuff. He doesn't want vain babbling. That's religion. We don't need religion. Here's another one. Going to church and then going back out and living the same life that you lived last week. That's vain. That's religion. That's a waste of time. If you can't come into church and let God change your life even a tiny little bit and walk out a different person, you're just living a religious life. You go out there and let him change your life outside of the church. Be the same person out there that you are in here and in here out there. Don't live a double life. Or singing a song and not actually worshiping the Lord. That's religion. If we're not careful, all human beings just default back into meaningless exercises that don't amount to a hill of beans. Or listen to this, never offering your time to show love to somebody and serve them. That would be dead religion. But we're here to offer our time and emotions to people who need it. Every single one of us, even if it's five minutes a week, Do something for somebody else and show them the love of God by serving them. Otherwise, it's just dead religion. You're nullifying the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. And I bet he said it just like, I bet his his, uh, lip snarled up a little bit. He pointed, I'm sorry, I don't want to point to anybody. I'll point out there. He pointed at them and he said, you hypocrite. I bet he yelled it at them all right? He said, Isaiah was right. Who was Isaiah? He was a prophet back hundreds of years before. So Jesus pointed grabbed the Old Testament and brought it right into their face and said, your tradition here is contradictory to what your own prophets say about you. Isaiah was right when he prophesied. Do you know what prophesy means? It simply means I hear the word of God spoken right here for the right now, and I'm telling you what the word of God means. That's prophecy. Now, it has connotations of speaking about what the future holds at times, but generally the prophecy of God is the word of God for right here, right now. It hits me hard. It pounds me, and it helps me to get back online. He says, he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far removed. They're far from me. They worship me in vain, i.e., singing a song without worship, God, worshiping God. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Wow. Jesus punched those guys right in the face. And I'll tell you this. In fact, I might be jumping ahead of myself a little bit. When you hear tough talk from Jesus, you got to figure out who he was talking to. And most often, too, he was talking to religious people who were confident in their religiosity and not confident in their God. But listen to this. Religion happens when you give lip service but no heart service. Where is your heart really at? It's funny. We were here on Wednesday night in a circle, and I said something passionately. I said, because we had some of our Teen Challenge folks there, and it was for all of us, if you relapse once, you can get back up again. How many, how many times will God help allow you to relapse? relapse away. We don't want you to, but God will pick you up every single time. He asks you to get up though. If you relapse, he says, get back up, repent of that sin that you just did and get straight again. Don't ever lay down there and say, oh God will forgive me. (laughs) That's that's not repentance. Repentance. And God isn't forgiving anything when that happens. In fact, the Bible indicates grace stops at that point. There's no grace left for someone who sins thinking God will forgive me. There's, no, there's nothing there. So religion happens when you don't just give it lip service, you give it some elbow grease and heart service, and you say, I'm going for it, God. I'm going to apply myself. Religion happens when there's no relationship with God. It's just all about doing an externals And no heart relationship with Jesus. Religion happens when we follow man made rules instead of God's rules. All right? Religion happens when we're more interested about our appearance than what's going on on the inside of us. That bowl full of messy spaghetti that needs to be straightened out. The Bible says that He wants our ways to be straight and smooth, not all angled and messed up. But he says, you hypocrites. What, were, what are hypocrites? Well, back then, this Greek word, which I can't pronounce, of hypocrite, was a pretender. Somebody who pretended to be something that they weren't. And they actually referred to their actors at that time, their people that did dramas, as, pretend, as hypocrites. They pretended to be something that they weren't. So how many of us have ever heard, or maybe even used this excuse ourselves, I'm not going to church because that church is full of hypocrites? we ever heard that before? All right. They're just, they're pretenders. They're actors. Well, yes, maybe. (laughs) I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Hey, (laughs) that's the way we are. This place is not a beauty pageant. This is a hospital. We come here because we need help, not because we're perfect. So the perfect, the the guy that says, I'm going to clean up my act before I go to church, you're wasting your time. You're never going to be able to clean up your act. You got to come as you are and let God Clean up your act. Amen? The hypocrites, that's right. Yes, I'm a hypocrite. Go ahead and call it to my face, but don't you use it as an excuse to stay away from God. That's a lame excuse. And that's all it is, is just an excuse. You stand up and you say, you know what, I'm gonna become the person that I'm looking other people to be. All right? I'm gonna be the hero that I'm trying to find in others. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the woman of God that I'm looking in others to be. That's how we need to be. So no more excuses, all right? So there's a, let's see. I had a thought here that's not connecting too well. <laughs> let's be sincere. Okay, hypocrite covers up. That's where I was going. Uh, a hypocrite covers up what's really going on, on the inside and tries to display something that's not real about them. Let's be sincere and real. Let's just be sincere and real. If I'm messing up, let me just tell you about it and just lay it on the line. I'm messing up. If God's blessing me, let me tell you, God's blessing me. If I'm happy, let me tell you, I'm happy. If I'm depressed, let me just be open and tell you, I'm depressed today. Let's be sincere. Hypocrites always try to put on airs of something that's not truly honest, not real. So in our daily devotion to God, you know, what's more important here? I'm sorry, my notes just aren't making a whole lot of sense. (laughs) I did this in the car driving from Albuquerque to here last night. (laughs) I may have made a mistake here or there. So let me go to the next next point here. It's talking about sincere worship. All right, let me read this the, these verses 7, 8, and 9 just real quick. Actually, verse 9. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mere human rules. What's worship in vain? Worship in vain is fake worship. It's external worship. It's not an internal worship. And John 4.23 says, A time is coming, and now is come, When true worshipers, not fake worshipers, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, they'll really, really worship God. And what I found, true worship happens, yes, when we're here, we sing a song. But you know when real worship happens? It happens out there when you're on the job, when you're typing on your computer, if that's your work, and you're just worshiping God as you type on the computer. and You say, I'm doing this as unto you. Everything that we do, we should do as unto the Lord. So if I'm washing dishes, I'm doing it for God. If I'm cleaning my house, I'm doing it for God. If I'm, if I'm mowing my lawn, I'm doing it for God. I'm doing everything for God. That's what true worship is. It's doing it all for the Lord, and letting my devotion to Him be more important than my career, my plans, my desires, my ambitions, my security, my comfort, I worship God above all of that stuff. And Jesus was saying, don't have vain worship, have real worship. Do it for God and do it for God all the time. I want to worship God from my heart, not just from my mouth. He's more interested anyways on what's going on the inside. what's going on on the outside. So be real, be sincere, be transparent, show God what is really in you. (laughs) Even if it's ugly, we had Billy who passed away a while back, but once he went to God, he lived a horrible life. He'd tell you this himself, horrible, horrible life. He'd kill some people. He'd been on drugs for decades. He'd done some things that he didn't even tell me what he did. They were that bad. He'd been in prison several times. But he said once, he said, he asked God, show me what's in my heart. And he said, God showed me what's in his heart. He said, he wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. You know what? We need to open up our hearts to God and say, see what's in me, God, both bad and good. Just look in my heart and see what's in me. That's worship when you do that. That's worshiping God is saying... I'm laying it all on the line for you to see it all, God. I'm not going to hide anything else. I'm not going to pretend anymore. And I I mentioned this about Moses. This has been blessing me so much. When Moses went to that burning bush, I said this a couple of Sundays ago, he went to that burning bush. He he was getting closer to see, And you know what God told him? God told him, stop, Moses. Don't come any closer. And we're always telling in church, God's telling you, come closer, come closer. And here in the Bible, God says, stop, don't come any closer. And why did God tell him to stop? He said, Moses, take your sandals off because the place that you're standing on is holy ground. Those sandals represented everything that Moses trusted in. He said, here, before you come any closer and you come in and experience my holiness, I want you to leave at the door everything that you trust in. Everything that you're confident in, leave it. And everything that makes you insecure, all your failures, leave them at the door and come to me, Moses, as you are. And that, that thought has been blessing me. I was driving to, to Albuquerque the day before yesterday and just talking to God and saying, God, I take off my sandals, Lord. I take off everything that I trust in and I take off everything that makes me insecure. Everything. I take and I come to you face to face, my foot on the ground. Nothing separating you and me. And as I'm doing that more and more, I'm realizing that's the secret to coming into God's holiness. That's the secret. People say, "I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Take your sandals off." <laughs> and you know what I'm finding? I'm getting off on a tangent. I'm finding this, Moses couldn't have done that 20 years earlier. He couldn't have done that 40 years earlier earlier. The winds of that desert blew on him and broke him down until he was finally ready. When it came time, Jesus, God said, take off your sandals. Moses willingly took his in. There's some of us here today that if God were to tell you to take your sandals off, take off what you could, you couldn't do it. It's You're just not ready for it. You, God's word is up here. Your faith is right here. And that's okay. <laughs> that's just where we're at. So build your faith up build yourself up in your most holy faith, read the Bible, talk to God, listen to God. And one of these days, he's going to say, come into my holiness, but first take off what you're confident in. and You're going to say, God, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. That's true worship. That's true worship. So we go on in verse 10 of Matthew 15. Jesus called the crowd. So he just told off these religious folks. <laughs> and he kind of like, pushes them back, so to speak, and says, come here, crowd. Come here, people who really need spiritual leadership. And he calls a crowd to him, and he says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them, but what comes out of their mouth defiles them, all right? And that word defile is really strong. Defile means to degrade. Have you ever degraded somebody, or have you ever been degraded by somebody where they just they said words that to this day ring in your ear, and they just, those words, those memories just push you down. That's what defile means it means to degrade, debase, to spoil. Uh, and, and by the way, Kyle Cole and I were taking some stuff to the dump, and we got in between, between two of these big old dumpsters, and this horrible smell, the smell of a dead animal. If you ever smells, it, it's just, oh, it's just horrible smell. Just, we're like, oh, this is too much. You know what what comes out of your mouth stinks <laughs> when it's ugly. it stinks whenever you degrade somebody when you tell someone that they're ugly or they're not good enough or they're not going to amount to a hill of beans. you know what that stinks in God's nose <laughs> it stinks it smells bad all right and so uh, i want you I want you to look at uh, with me at um at James 3, 1 uh, through 12. And it's these classic, not all, all scriptures are classic, but these classic scriptures on the tongue and guarding what comes out of your mouth, taming the tongue. And I'll, I'll, as you're looking it up, let me tell you this, this. I can't remember if I read this or heard this from a friend. They either sent me a text or they told me this. But here's the, here's the quote. When you are easily offended, you will become offensive. If you get your feathers ruffled really easily, you're going to become offensive to people. You're going to smell bad to people very quickly. If you're one that gets, here, knock this chip off my shoulder. Here, try it, try it. You're going to be very offensive to people. You're going to smell bad to people. You're going to, be, uh, you're going to defile yourself to people. But if you're a person that won't get offended easily, you're easy going, you roll with the punches, God's going to bless you and you will be a sweet aroma of God to them. Amen. So let's read in James three one. It says, not many of you should become teachers or be thought of as teachers, my fellow believers. (laughs) He's like, he's there. James is kind of coming on pretty strong. He says, because you know, uh, because you know that uh, we who teach will be judged more strictly. So I'm in you know, I got to really watch myself. If I'm speaking in church, teaching in church, I better be watching my life uh, very, very closely. Anyone who is never, here's where it gets to the crux though. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Wow. That's a pretty big statement. Able to keep their whole body in check. All right. Well, you know, a lot of men have problems with their eyes, what they look at. You know, they can't control what they look at. They're always taking the second glance or looking at stuff they shouldn't. The Bible says it's easier to control your eyes than your tongue. That's a that's a pretty big statement. Our tongues wag and get, get us into all kinds of trouble. It's what we say to others that gets us into trouble. Have you ever said something mean directly face-to-face? It just popped out your mouth, and you said it? And it was harmful. Have you ever done that? Of course you have. All of us have. How about even better or even worse, talking about somebody behind their back? (laughs) All right. That's equally as harmful, maybe even more harmful. Or what about what you say about yourself? That's harmful as well. We need to control our tongue about what we say to people, about people, and about our own selves. In our own situations the, the 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 there's literally there's power in the tongue if you're not careful it carries the 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 power of life and death in it i mean it's harmful what little ones little kids hear sometimes from an uncaring parent or an older sibling or a teacher or someone who they look up to that bashes them i mean that's terrible it, it produces death in them, so they begin to believe the lies that have been spoken about them. You know, in Luke 6:45, it says, "Out of the abundance, the heart and mouth speaks." But let's continue on here in, in James 3. It says, "We put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal with this little metal thing in their mouth. You can turn the whole animal." And it says, uh, or take ships for an example. Although they're large, they're driven by strong winds. They're steered by a very small rudder, which the pilot uh, uses to to steer it where it can go. Likewise, the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, and it corrupts, there's that word, defile again, it corrupts the whole body, setting the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by the fire of hell. I mean, you talk about some strong language, man. This, you know, the tongue is vicious, dangerous, brutal. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, you've you've seen these dog whispers that somehow they get the dog to do things that you can never get them to do themselves, right? People can train birds, reptiles, sea creatures. They can be tamed. Remember this word, tamed, and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. How's that for hopelessness? (laughs) You will never be able to tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise God, and then we curse human beings. With the same mouth comes praise and curses. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. All right? We can't tame the tongue, tongue, but can God tame your tongue? He sure can. And I want to just give you a revelation that's been for me. I hope it helps you. God has been showing me that he tames my desires. He tames my desires. And I'm not talking necessarily about bad desires, although he tames those as well but just neutral desires. You have the desire to go do this or do that or accomplish this. And God has been showing me that he can tame my desires so that it doesn't drive me as hard as it used to. And it puts me more in control. And I've been realizing that God tames my desires. And so when I have this intense urge to go snack at night, he can actually tame that desire. Not to mention all the other bad desires that I have that you have. He tames our desires. Just like the Daniel in the lion's den was thrown in the lion, in the lion's den, God tamed those lions. He can tame your desires and not have them drive you to, to the extent that you're out of control. Guess what? God can tame your tongue. Let him tame your tongue. You work, with, work with him. Cooperate with him. I'll give you one final scripture about the tongue here in Matthew 12:36. It says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. This is Matthew 12:36. I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment. Everyone, sinners, believers, goats and sheep. We'll have to give an account for every empty word. What is an empty word? It's a careless word. Every careless word that just slips out says this, says that. Idle. Here's some. Here's some uh, other synonyms for careless word. Idle words. You know. Sometimes we just have no control over our mouth. It just, you know, just comes out. May not be good. May not be bad. It's a waste. Don't even say it. Let your words be few. The Bible instructs us. Where there's Where there's abundance of words, the Bible says sin is not far off. (laughs) So talk less. Talk less, all right? Unless you're an introvert, then you maybe need to talk a little bit more. But lazy words, thoughtless words, unprofitable words, injurious words. That means words that injure you. Let's continue on because we have a couple more thoughts here before we end up going back to Matthew 15, verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say this cuz he he blew them away in front of everybody their own followers all the people he uh, he really made a fool a fools out of them and i find that Jesus addressed strongly he said if your hand causes it causes you to sin cut it off if your eye causes you to sin gouge it out did you ever see an example in the bible where somebody actually did that no there's no example in the Bible. Jesus was giving strong language to a group of people that needed to hear a strong message. All right? So how do we apply that today? If your, if your cell phone, your iPhone is causing you to sin, go, go break it. Throw it away. You know. If your TV is causing you to sin, your computer is causing sin, throw it in the trash. All right? that's the application. But the point is, is when Jesus spoke strongly to people, he spoke to three sets of people very strongly. He spoke to the religious people really strongly. He talked to wishy-washy people very strongly, people who couldn't make up their mind. And he spoke to the proud and stubborn people very strongly. But to those, his followers, he was very tender he was very gentle. He was very kind. That's why I'm not a big fan of, of preaching hellfire and brimstone here because we're trying to follow Jesus. We need a little bit of encouragement, you know? If we're, if we're making mistakes, God's going to help us overcome those mistakes. If we've fallen, we're going to stand back up again, all right? But Jesus did speak very strongly, but always look at the audience he was speaking to when he came on strongly. It's very important to remember that. Jesus generally spoke very gently and friendly with a loving tone to sinners. (laughs) The sin is not really what bothered me as much as the religiosity, as doubt, and as pride. (laughs) We all are sinners. We've all fallen short of the kingdom of God. But it's God's righteousness that picks us up and puts us in a place of acceptance before God. Amen? But the devil is always pointing out our sin. Just remember where that comes from. Let's just a a thought there. Um, Verse 13 of chapter 15 here in Matthew, he said, he replied, every plant that my Father, Heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. (laughs) I tell you what, I, I spent three years planting in my job, trying to get processes in place and and making things efficient and to work smoothly. And then one day, all of that was snuffed out. A new guy came in and changed everything the way that we did. All right? Everything that we plant, God is going to uproot except for what he plants. And if he plants something, it's going to stay. And it's going to grow. And it's going to become powerful. And so in all of that, all my processes were thrown out the window. Everything I'd worked for was thrown out the window. But I'd left five guiding principles. Be selfless, have clarity, be enthusiastic, be loyal, and focus on results. I had preached these things for three years to the people that worked for me. And you know what? Those things stayed to this day. They're still there. See? So what God plants, it's going to stay. But what you plant, it's not going to stay. So just get used to it. <laughs> All right, let God do your planning. Let's move on. Verse 14, it said, leave them, these religious folks. They're blind guides. The blind lead the blind and both will fall into the pit. <laughs> kind of a funny picture there. can see that. And another word for guide is leader. Not, we're almost done here. Uh, another word for guide is Leader and every one of us, I don't care what book on leadership you read, every one of us is a leader. We're leading somebody. There's somebody following you. You look back, there might be two people, there might be a hundred people. You are leading somebody. You are influencing somebody for good or for bad, period. If you have kids, for sure. In fact, your kids are a reflection of your example. Whatever you do, they're going to do the same thing. Up until about the age, you know, Middle school, high school, they start kind of doing their own thing. But you want to see what you're really looking like? Just watch your kids. I would do that with my kids. They'd be saying, I won't tell you what word. It wasn't a bad word. (laughs) But it was, you know, they would use phrases and terminology. And I'd like, why do they keep saying this over and over and over again? It just sounds funny. And then I'd listen to myself. I said it over and over and over again. You want a picture of yourself. Look at your child. And you will see yourself very, very clearly. All right? We're influencing and and we need to take bear in mind 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, the Apostle Paul says this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Man. So you set your, your eyes on Jesus. What's his example? What would Jesus do? As Brother Jimmy mentions often, what would Jesus do? You do it. And more and more people line up behind you doing the exact same thing. That is not a scary. I heard this dopey Christian artist say, that's really scary. I, you know, For me to be an example, I mean, people are going to be following me. Well, stop singing on the radio then if it freaks you out so much. All right? Follow the example of Jesus, and others will follow your example as well. The Bible says, I think it was uh, in Timothy, he said, watch your life and your doctrine carefully that you and your hearers may be saved. That's all of us, all of us. And so he's t- telling these Pharisees, you're blind guides and you, you're, you and all your followers are gonna end up in a pit. You're not gonna end up where you need to be. So then Peter says, explain this parable to us. Jesus says, are you still so dull? <laughs> are you still so dull? There's, there's a spiritual dinginess about some Christians that's truly a shame someone who's been a believer for 40 years should be a very strong believer, should not be listening to the lies of the devil any longer, should know their Bible inside and out, should have fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit every single day of their lives. I'm telling you, if you've been a Christian for 40 years, you should be a powerhouse for God by now. Now, take that and say, Steve, you're condemning me. <laughs> I've been a Christian for 40 years and I'm not a powerhouse. Well, start being one today then. Do it. Go do it. Start being a mighty man, a mighty woman for God. Don't look at the past anymore. Be something for Jesus. Be strong. And, and please don't quote the same scripture over and over again. All right? Find a new scripture. There's thousands of scriptures in the Bible. Granted, that's your favorite one, but what's your new one for today? and tomorrow God's got a fresh one for you tomorrow, all right? Find the newness in the Word of God and the freshness of the Holy Spirit every day of your life. Don't be spiritually dense, dingy, or dull. (laughs) Be strong. Be in spiritual intelligence. There's this thing in in the business world called emotional intelligence, all right? We need spiritual intelligence, too, More, more so than anything what's going on in and around us, understanding ourselves, understanding the spirit of God and understanding the spirit of this world at the same time. Spiritually intelligent. In Hebrews 5.11, it puts it all together. It says, we have much to say about you, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you are no longer trying to understand. That's the problem. A spiritually dingy person is someone who isn't even trying to understand. We need to try to understand what God has told us. In fact, though... By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still an infant, not being acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know what? At this point, we need to be training ourselves. We need to be learning ourselves. Church is good. Preaching, hopefully, is good. But you and me, we've got to be in the Word of God, training ourselves. Is this from God? Is this from the devil? It's not from the devil. It's not from God. I don't want it. Training ourselves through constant use. I love that. All right, so we'll end up with just a couple of other scriptures. This truly, I'm really done, I promise. 1 John 2, 27 it says speaking again of being training ourselves as for you the anointing which you receive from him abides in you if you have the holy spirit you have the holy spirit whether you feel it or not whether you know it or not you have the holy spirit he abides in you you have no need for anyone to teach you all right now that can be taken to extreme to where you don't listen to anything you stay at home and, and you think you can be an isolated christian which is never the case but you don't need people to teach. You You need the Holy Spirit to instruct you. All right? I'm not instructing you. The Holy Spirit's taking what I'm saying and picking and choosing what you need and, and depositing it in your heart. His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you. You abide in Him. I'm telling you, it's time for us to stand up and start being the men and women of God that He's called us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we